Good morning. Our scripture is going to be Colossians chapter 2, and we'll see this on the screen. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh and by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you would take the Scripture and Holy Spirit apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all want safety and security. We all want hassle-free living. We all want a non-disruptive experience in life. The only problem is it's not going to happen. That we live in a fallen world with its ups and downs and beauty and sorrows and joys and triumphs and discouragements. but, but, But we long for safety and security. I was recently on a playground in Washington State with my almost two-year-old grandson and my 10-day-old granddaughter was in the shade. They live kind of on the desert in Washington, the desert side of that beautiful state, the evergreen state. And so we go to the playground and uh, we're having fun. And I look around and over my shoulder I see a woman there. Now, the UV rays are very intense there, and it's still fairly early in the morning, but she had on a big hat, long sleeves, and pants, and it was pretty warm. And she had on a life vest with a whistle. Now, the nearest body of water is 500 yards, and it's just a river. She's not even close. But she is, with great diligence, looking after a little boy beautiful little boy, four years, five years old. Uh, She was very Germanic, Anglo, and the little boy was a beautiful Chinese boy, so obviously adopted. He called her grandmother. She called him by his name. But she was watching over him and standing beneath him. The only problem is this little boy will be in the Olympics in 10 years. He is a natural-born acrobat gymnast, and she was struggling to keep up with him. And she was a grandmother who longed for safety and security. And it called to mind an article I read, an editorial in the Wall Street Journal. Three weeks ago, I clipped it and saved it. And I'll just read part of it. It's been written by a woman, and it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a swipe at our safety-first culture as parents. And some of you parents are like this, and it's really pretty sad, just to be honest with you. Um, let me just read part of the article. She said, Parents Magazine warns that, quote, bees are attracted to flowers. So don't put fragrances or floral pattern clothing on your kids. Close quote. This is just true. The writer says, surely you've seen swarms of bees chasing children in floral prints. Convinced they are flowering shrubs in work boots. Goes on and says, the American Academy of Pediatrics 
meanwhile suggests that if your children insist on playing outside, then the little daredevils at least, quote, limit sun exposure during the peak intensity hours between 10 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon, close quote. The academy is afraid that kids will get too much sun. It's also afraid they'll get too little sun and end up with rickets. A related fear is that kids won't get enough water because we're given over to the need for hydration. Now, this is true. There's a new product on the market called Gululu, G-U-L-U-L-U, parents, in case you want to get this. Gululu, which is a water bottle with a Wi-Fi connection. The Galulu app allows parents to monitor how much water their children will be drinking. The cagey gadget even knows if the kids are secretly not drinking, pouring out water to stop their parents from texting them to drink even more. Then, of course, again, Parents Magazine. Parents Magazine warns that to keep children safe at the playground, you should, quote, walk away from or walk away if you see cement, asphalt, dirt, or grass. These surfaces are linked to head injuries. Well, safety first. We all long for safety first and we want it. And this text we're looking at today is so important and I really want to get it across. It's really important stuff. It's our union with Christ. I said the last two times that I preached in this passage that really chapter 2 verse 8 could be the linchpin for the whole rest of the book where Paul is just exalted in the greatness of Christ. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and highfalutin arguments that depend upon human tradition, that depend upon the elemental spirits of the age, the spirit of the age, and not according to Christ. And so you say, well, how, how, do, we, how do we see to it? Primarily, he answers the question in the text. When he says with great clarity, he says, make a beeline to Christ. He says, that those of you who have been taught that in the Colossian heresy that the creation was made by a lesser deity and that the world is a mess, he says, hear this. He says, for in him the whole fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. And just think about that. Paul says, the eternal God who has no beginning and who has no end is Jesus. The eternal God is Christ. The, 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 for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, he says, everything that you need is in Christ. It's not angelic visions. It's not rules keeping. Everything you need is found in Christ. For in him dwells in reality, in fullness, the deity. And, and, then, and then he says this. I mean, this, this is just, this is amazing. He says, him, later in the verse, who is the head of all rule and authority. He says these thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities which represent a hierarchy of, of spirits or maybe demonic spirits, Jesus rules them. He is God in the flesh, and he rules all of creation, this, 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 this hierarchy of thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. And he says, behold the greatness of Christ. But, but hear this, the most astounding thing in this verse, this passage, 
relates to who Christ is in us. Listen to these words. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you, church, and you have been filled in him. This God dwells in you. This glorious God who is eternally majestic and triune dwells in you. You've been filled in him. This is called our union with Christ. And if you read systematic theology, systematic theologians will tell you that understanding our union with Christ is one of the keys to living the Christian faith. And I really want you to get this today. Christ lives in you. You are in him. You belong to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, see, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so we are in him and we're to express the fact that God has said there's reconciliation through the cross. I'm in him. When I was first converted, I was a young man, 19 years of age, and, and I, I, there are certain things you remember. I just remember this like it was yesterday. I was trying to memorize a verse that talks about our union with Christ. It's Galatians 2.20. And I memorized it in the King James Version. So it goes like this. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. So I remember I was memorized. I was swimming. I was in a swimming pool. And I was thinking about them. See, that's the beauty of meditating on the Bible. So a lot of times I'll read something. I'll read my daily Bible reading, and an hour later, somebody says, what did you read? And I go, oh, I was in Matthew and First Chronicles. But, so, but, but when you meditate and memorize, you think about it, it's in your mind. So I'm, I'm swimming. <clears throat> I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet and I, but Christ lives in me. And I remember jumping up out of the water and thinking, can, can, can it be true? Christ, the Almighty Savior, lives in me? Lives in His people? That's called our union with Christ. You're in Christ. If you've trusted Him by faith, you are in Christ. There are other synonyms that we use to describe our union with Christ. <clears throat> we talk about our adoption. Adoption is a glorious teaching in the Bible that God pursued and loved and embraced rebels and brought us in. Adoption. Another term that is synonymous with our union with Christ 
is the term sealed. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, he says, verse 13, in Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The guarantee, you were sealed. You see, some of us, when we buy something or acquire something, they'll say, well, it has to be notarized. And so we go to a notary public, and the notary public who's gone through a course will pull out a, a little handheld device, and they'll, they'll, they'll notarize and write their name and the date. It's been notarized. You put it in a file to keep it. And that, that, that's a that's a seal. But when I think of this, what I really like to think about is, is like, you know, the Middle Ages, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And, and, and so the, the, the king had this big signet ring. And let's say an emissary from a foreign power had come and they had talked about how to have peace and how to have a trade agreement. And, and so the king would listen and then he'd pull his advisors aside and they would craft it and send it back and they would come up with a final document. And, and the king, with great ceremonial grace, would, would take some wax and pour the wax on the bottom of the paper and take his signet ring and put it in the wax. And it's sealed. It's authentic. It means you authentically belong to the Lord. If you are a believer in Christ and come to him by faith, you have been sealed with and by the Holy Spirit You've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of what is to come in eternity. This is really good stuff. And so Paul says, if, if, if you're going to be strong in faith, you make a beeline to all that Christ is for you. You go straight to the reality of Christ in this topsy-turvy, dangerous, chaotic world. I was meditating, thinking about Psalm 38 recently. Psalm 38 is a psalm of lamentation. I love the psalms. Because the Psalms are just, the writer of the Psalms, they're just honest. Sometimes they're just rejoicing. Sometimes they're in the pits. This is a pit psalm. Because of his sin and because he's being hunted, David is despondent. And I can identify with David here. Listen to some of the things he says. Verse 2, Lord, your arrows have sunk into me. And your hand has come down upon me. Verse 3, there's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. David says, I, I've blown it. I, I've blown it. Verse 5, my wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the days I go about mourning. My sides are filled with burning, and there's no soundness in my flesh. Verse 10, my heart throbs and my strength fails me in the light of my eyes. It also has gone from me. My friends and my companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stands way, way off. And on top of that, there are people who are seeking to do me harm physically. So, so David says, I've been stupid. The hand of God's judgment is upon me. My friends stand aloof from me, and people are trying to kill me. 
But this is how the psalm ends. Verse 21, do not forsake me, O Jehovah. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation. And I read that and said, this, this psalm plea is fulfilled in the person of Christ. Because if Christ came and fulfilled all the sacrificial law, we will never be forsaken. Because Christ bore my sin in his body on the cross, I will never be cast out. And so David's cry, oh Lord, come, make haste, make haste to help me, has fulfilled in the person of Christ. So, so when you're despondent, when you're down, when you've been foolish, run to the cross. Run to Christ. Say, God, I am in him. Christ lives in me. I have union with Christ. I've been adopted into the family of God. I've been sealed by the blessed Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer wrote a book on Romans 7, and he says that life is a bewildering experience for the believer. He's talking about Romans 7 where Paul says, the wretched, the good things I want to do, I I don't do, and the bad things I don't want to do, I do. And and, and Packer believes, I, I think he's right, that he's talking about a believer. And Packer says that even the best of us experience bewilderment in life. We have the empowering presence of the Spirit, and then we do dumb things, and we're just bewildered. We said, you run to Christ. You glory in the greatness of the gospel. And in this passage, Paul uses two metaphorical statements, so that which represents a, another, an abstract, tr- abstract truth, to, to underscore what Christ has done for us. I want, I, this is so good. I want you to get it. He's, first of all, circumcision and baptism. Okay, circumcision, baptism. <clears throat> first circumcision. He says, in Christ... Also, you were circumcised. Now, if you're sitting there listening to the letter being read, read in, the book of, in the Church of Colossae, you say, time out. Says, I am sick and tired of hearing about circumcision. I have a neighbor down the, down the hill, two doors down. He and his wife, they're really nice people. They're fun to have, you know, over for, you know, a barbecue. But, but he's one of these guys that says, if you really are going to be on God's team, You've got to be circumcised, and you've got to observe feast days and fast days, and you've got to do A and B and C and D and E and F. But it always comes back to this. You've got to be circumcised. I'm, I'm tired of hearing about it. So just give it a rest. We realize the Apostle Paul is a Pharisee in training, so he's going to go down the same circumcision alley. Listen. Then you go back to the letter. A circum, you were circumcised, listen, with a circumcision made without hands. <laughs> well, first of all, how, how, how is that possible? <laughs> wow. A circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, have, having been buried with him. So, so, Circumcision made without hands. When I, years and years and years and years and years ago, I came across this passage, and it answered so many questions for me, all these debates about Messianic Jews and this and that and how you worship. And, and the Apostle Paul, a, a Pharisee uh, of the Pharisees, trained as a Pharisee, says this in Romans 2. A person is not a Jew who is only 
one outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a true Jew. We're completed Jews. See? A person is a true Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart. It is by the Spirit and not by a written law. And such a person's praise does not come from man, but it comes from God. So, so you, you say, well, Paul, who was steeped in the whole idea and practice of circumcision, says, you know, you're, you're not a Jew by faith as a covenant child because of an outward badge or outward observance, but it's, it's, it's inward and it's by the Spirit and your praise comes not from man, but from God. You know, compare notes. You, 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 you worship as unto the Lord. He says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, where he talks about this issue. He says this in verse, verse 3. He says, for we are the circumcision, the church, who worship by the Spirit of God, and they glory in Christ Jesus, and they put no confidence in the flesh. Your badge of honor is not your ethnicity, it's not your outward performance, your badge of honor is Christ. And then Paul goes on and says, you know, I, I could be incredibly abrasively arrogant about being a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, as to keep in the law, I'm flawless, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. But he says, whatever I gained, I count as loss except for the for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then Paul says again in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So Paul says, metaphorically, circumcision happened when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you this. In what are you trusting for your identification and your approval before God? I ask you that because everyone here, I believe, I think this is true. Everyone here who knows Christ is a recovering Pharisee. See, the, the Pharisees walked under this type of regimen. I do, therefore I deserve. I do, therefore I deserve. Or, I do, therefore I earn. If, if I do this, I deserve. If I do this, I earn. And the gospel says it's only by the grace of the living Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, Christ has a dialogue with some Pharisees. And he says, you guys don't realize that I'm the great physician, and those people who are really well and have it all together don't need a physician. It's only the sick people who need a physician. And I thought, Lord, don't ever let me get over the sickness that needs the touch of the grace of Jesus in my life. Don't, don't ever let me get over that. 
And I have experienced a circumcision in my heart made without hands. Listen, there's safety and security in that. Then he says, the second metaphor, there's a baptism. He says that, that you've been buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. So, so he says, Paul says, baptism is a metaphor. It's a picture of you're your buried with Christ and you're raised in newness of life. He says, God has baptized you by the power of the gospel to live for him. And he says he did this. This is, this is listen. He did this. God made you alive together with him even when you were dead in your trespasses. And this is what's wild to me. This, one, this makes the gospel so incredibly powerful. When you were dead, dead, God spoke the gospel to your heart and made you alive. He gave you ears to hear. I don't understand the mystery of election, but it's in the Bible. You see, our union with Christ is grounded in eternity in the unchanging love of God. The Bible says those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified and he glorified. So, so it's grounded in eternity past, but it happens at a moment in time, somewhere in your experience. God spoke the gospel to you and called you out. The gospels, there's a story about a man named Lazarus, a good friend of Christ who dies. He's been dead three days. He's in the side of the, uh, a cliff with a rock over the tomb. The sisters are weeping. Christ comes, and he stands outside and says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out, and they had to take the grave cloth off of him. Jesus did that to you when you came to faith in Christ. So your union with Christ happens when God calls you at a moment in time. Some of you grew up always believing the gospel, but even as a young person, somewhere in the corridors of time, you passed from unbelief to belief. You passed from knowledge to embracing. Some of you have dramatic testimonies. But there comes a point in time when you pass from unbelief to belief. God calls you. And see, my question to you this morning is, have you experienced the work of God in your life that applies the gospel to you? And you say, I believe that Jesus is eternal God who died on the cross for my sin and was raised in newness of life. I pray God calls people today as the gospel's preached. The gospel's preached, the Holy Spirit works, and people believe. Boom, boom, boom. See, that's why we, have, we just had vacation Bible school. And that, that's why, listen, parents and grandparents, catechize your kids. Use the New City Catechism. Because the Bible says that God takes the Word of God planted in souls and He saves people by the Word of God. So, so, so you, you get them to, to, to think and to understand these terms and, and, and to... And, and God works in their heart and their life because God calls people by the, by the gospel. Even, listen, even when you're dead, I want you to hear that. Dead. 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 
This, this stuff really it blows my mind. I, I, I just, I, I was dead. And I, I remember very clearly the month I came to faith in Christ. I was 19. And I just heard the gospel and I said, wow. I mean, so Jesus is eternal God who died on the cross for my sins and he bridges the gap between a sinful, sinful, sinful man like me and a holy God. The cross bridges that gap. And I, I didn't understand the Trinity. Or I didn't understand the virgin birth. I didn't understand the hypostatic union. I didn't understand infralapsarianism. I didn't get any. I just knew Jesus died on the cross for my sins and he was God. And I passed from death to life. And see, this is accomplished by the cross. Just look at the text. It says, he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, now, Paul was writing to a culture that fully understood that when you were when you were condemned in the Roman system and you were crucified, there was a placard or a parchment nailed to the top of the cross that, enlisted, that enumerated the transgressions that caused you to be crucified. So that they put it at the top. And Paul turns that imagery on its head. He says, no, Christ by his death has taken a red stamp and said, Debt canceled on every cross that you will ever bear in your life. It's gone. It's done away with. You are His. You are in Him. And no one can snatch you from His hand, John chapter 10. You, you are in Christ. It's accomplished by the work of the cross. All of us live with regrets, uh, being found out secret thoughts or whatever. I thought about this as I was working on this sermon this week. When I was in seminary, I struggled with second-year Greek. I just struggled with it. And I, I had two different men who taught me Greek, and both of them were stereotypical Greek professors. They were just really boring. And uh, this professor was just, he wasn't real warm, and he was a, he was a Greek professor. Um, so, after the first semester, back in those days, they mailed you your grades. Uh, it means that somebody with a bag came to your door and dropped it through the slot. It's called mail. So, I'm home with my wife of just a year, and boom. And I was really, I thought, oh, I don't want to see my Greek grade. Take Five other classes, I did well in those, but I said, oh. So I said, Sarah, open it up. She opened it up, she said, you made an A in Greek. I said, there's no way. I said, there's no way. Uh, I, I believe in the miracles. But even if I made 100 on my Greek exam, I didn't make an A. I said, well, Right here it says, well, I, I know. So for two weeks before I went back to school, I struggled with, do I say anything? <laughs> or do I receive this as a Christmas present from the throne of God? <laughs> well, 
first day back, I went to see my, my Greek professor. His first name was Virtus. I didn't call him Virtus, but the name fit. So I knocked on his door. Come in. Oh, Mr. Brown, good to see you. Good to see you, Dr. Gideon. Dead conversation. He's a Greek professor. That was the extent of his conversation. And so I go, I've got an issue here. I said, I, I was given an A in Greek. He said, oh, congratulations. I said, no, didn't happen. Could, couldn't have happened. Your, your, your assistant obviously added up some wrong numbers. He said, oh, Mr. Brown, I'm sure you got an A. He put out his grade. We only had four tests. So he quickly did the math and he went, hmm. He said, Mr. Brown, uh, that should be a C. And I said, I'll take it. I said, sold. And uh, I left with a lower GPA. Found out. But there are much more severe cases. I, so, so there are some people here who have, maybe it's you, maybe you have friends who say, you know, I, I, uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, I can meet God on my own. You say, well, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about behavior. Do you ever fudge expense forms on a business trip? Let's say this guy's a man. And he goes, he says, do you ever submit a bill that supper cost you $27 when it only cost you $18.50? Oh, everybody does that. Okay. Do, do you ever, in your mind, you may not speak it, you may speak it, do you ever call somebody callous names because of their ethnicity or because of maybe their orientation sexually or because of this or because of that? It goes, well, yeah, everybody does that. Do you ever see a young woman and think unpure thoughts about her? Oh, I'm a guy. Well, we've established you're a liar, you're a murderer, because Jesus says if you call your brother a, a disparaging name or you get angry with your brother, you've committed a murder in your heart, and, and you're an adulterer, liar, murderer, adulterer. and we're just getting started. We're just getting started. You see, apart from the grace of Christ, Everyone here is undone. And that's why there's safety and security in the cross. That's why even when you're found out, you run to the Father through the shed blood of the cross. One of the greatest stanzas of hymnody ever written, thought about this passage. It goes like this. My sin, oh, the bliss, the happiness of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. My, my sin, not in part, but the whole. Nailed to the cross. Your shame, 
your sorrow nailed to the cross. I mean, see, that's why the gospel is just such good news. The most horrific thought, action you've ever done is covered by the cross of Jesus. So we're happy. We rejoice. And that's why we need to invite people to consider the gospel. I invite you this morning to consider the gospel of grace. This may be the day you're being called from darkness to light, from knowledge about to embracing Christ by faith. Your God is calling you through the gospel to come. Let's pray. So, Lord, this day, uh, we, we so thank you. And, uh, Lord, all of us operate apart from the gospel. And I do this, I deserve that mentality. Uh, may the gospel of grace run through our hearts. May the gospel of grace be poured out in this church and in the churches of our community. May the gospel of grace be poured out on our campuses and in the marketplace and in our subdivisions. May, Lord, I just thank you that my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole deal is nailed to the cross. We don't bear it. We don't bear it. So blessed be your name. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Apply this wonderful message to our hearts. In Jesus' name.